Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, like Pastor C said earlier, thank you so much for joining us this morning and for sticking this out with us. Uh, sadly, this is something we're getting used to, but uh, you know, thankfully, we have this office space. We're able to come and to stream to you and to still worship God together as a family and as a church. Now, it's been a while since I've been up here, and uh, I'm really excited about Jonah. I've been really loving this book, really loving this study for myself, and I hope that you are excited about it as well. Before we get started, um, have you ever been in pursuit of something before? Maybe as a parent, you've had to chase a child through a park and drag them back to your car unwillingly. Or maybe you've even had to chase a pet or something that got loose outside. Um, recently, our cat has gotten out a lot, even yesterday. Um, we don't let our cat out a whole lot because she, she's skittish, she's scared easily, so we keep her inside the house. But she got out, and she goes directly for under our cars. So yesterday morning at around 9.30, I was sat out on our driveway in pursuit of our cat, trying to get her to come out. Eventually, I caught her. She was not happy, but I was able to get her back into the house where it was safe. And this morning, I've titled my message, The Pursuit. If you've seen the picture on Facebook, and I'll describe it for you, it shows a picture of a boat on a fairly calm lake at that point, heading into what looks like to be a very nasty storm. And up in the top left corner, you'll see the pursuit there. If, by looking at the picture, you would think, you know, you might assume that the boat is in pursuit of something. But actually, in our story, it's the storm that's in pursuit of a person that's on the boat. You see, it's God who is the one who is in pursuit of us, but I'll give you more on that later. And just to refresh you about the book of Jonah, Jonah had been called to preach to the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites were a part of the Syrian nation, and they were very evil. They were very horrible to the places that they conquered. They did some pretty crazy things to the people that they took over. It, there was a lot of history between Israel and the Assyrian nation. They were enemies for years and years and years. So in his flesh, in his being, Jonah had almost every reason that we would think of not to want to go and preach to them. But that wasn't God's plan. God wanted him to go and preach to his enemies. You see, up to this point as well, Israel had done up to 150 years of evil in the eyes of the Lord. You, you, look, you, you go through the years and it says, you know, this king came in and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and he lived for so many years. And then the next king lived for so many years and they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And up to this point, there had been at least 150 years of Israel doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it's in this book that God is using Jonah to teach the nation of Israel and the prophet himself a very important lesson that we will see more and more as we go through this book. My last sermon touched on verses 1 to 3, and I talked a lot about calling, how God had called Jonah to go preach, but also how he calls us to go and tell the good news, that we also have a calling on our lives. And it's not just about our job, although that has a part to do with it, but we are all generally called to go tell about the good news, which is found in the Great Commission. So Jonah had been called to go. God said, get up and go. And Jonah got up and went the wrong way. 
he went down to Joppa, paid the fare, got on the boat, and this is where we find ourselves now. After all, he, he got on the boat and he had stopped God, didn't he? You can't use a prophet that's in the same continent. Wrong. You can't run from God. You can't stop God from doing something that he wants to do. As we see in our text, it's after Jonah got on this boat, and it says that God actually hurled or threw a wind, a great wind, at the sea. God was actively involved in this, and it's actually the same word used as if you were to throw a javelin. And I'm sure that you've seen in the Olympics, on TV, in sports, someone just taking it and just giving it all they have to throw. And it's used again when the crew is throwing their cargo overboard so the ship won't sink. So God threw this forceful wind at the sea, and it was all meant to get the attention of the one running from God. It was meant to get Jonah's attention. So maybe we should check on Jonah. What's he doing in the middle of the storm? Well, he's asleep, below deck, sound to the world. And this is a storm that has these men calling to their own gods. They're seeking their own gods. And the text even says that the ship threatened to break apart. So just imagine what's happening here. The wind is howling. There's rain. You might not even be able to see or hear much at all. And you can hear the waves pounding on the ship. It threatens to break apart. It's like she just can't take any more. And Jonah's asleep down below deck. And there's some theories here about why Jonah was asleep. The first one is that Jonah, not being used to the sea, could have been incapacitated by it. He could have been seasick. And all of this is very likely. I mean, we've all either been seasick or we've seen someone seasick. And basically, it takes the good right out of you. You're, you're useless for the rest of the trip. And Jonah could have been seasick, but there's something here that the text is really pointing out. So that's theory one. Theory two is that Jonah is, in a spiral, is spiraling into his sin. Because see, starting in verse 3, we see that Jonah goes down into Joppa and then down into the ship. And in verse 5, we see that Jonah had gone down into the ship and that he had laid down to go to sleep. Now, that last one is actually a play on words of the word used for down. So what the writer is almost saying here is that it's making a point to show us that Jonah is making his way down. Not only is he physically you know, going down to the boat, but he's making his way down spiritually. He's going further and further into his sin. Sin has blinded him. Sin blinds. It corrupts us, and it can often blind us to our own spiral as we go further and further down. We live oblivious to the effects of sin in our lives at times and how much its hooks have actually sunk deeper and deeper into our lives. What we may think is only a small sin could actually be much greater for us. Think for a second of those animal rescue videos that you come across on YouTube and Facebook just recently, I've, I've seen one of a whale shark that has almost a rope tied around it, and people are cutting it off as, a, as, a, as this uh, big fish is swimming. Um, there's moments when that object has grown deeper into the animal. 
And you can see it, it's caused a deformity in the animal. Sometimes it could be a seal where it's sunk around its neck, a turtle where it's wrapped around its shell. But it has sunk, begun to sink into these animals and become a part of it. But they, sing, they swim blindly on as if there's nothing wrong with them. And there's a moment when that object is removed from them. It's almost a sigh of relief. We feel happy that the animal is rescued. But if it's, if, if it's one of those times when they've had it for years, then the animal is left with an obvious deformity. And our sin can sometimes take on that same appearance. It can be part of our everyday life, and we make excuses about it, or we don't think as a, as a big deal. We think it's just a minor thing. But sin left unchecked will grow, and it will go deeper and deeper into us, and its hooks will sink, and we'll become more and more entangled. Just like those animals, we become accustomed to living with our sin that has wrapped itself tighter around us. And like I said, there's a moment where that's removed. There's a sigh of relief when that sin or that, in the animal's case, that rope, that netting is dealt with. In this moment, Jonah is blinded. He's blinded to his spiral, to how far he's sinking, to how far his sin is really taking him. It's either he couldn't see or he was just flat out ignoring the effect of his sin. Jonah, had, instead of repenting of his disobedience, he continued to go further and deeper into it and allowing that sin to wrap tighter and tighter around his life. Now, I didn't come here to throw Jonah under the bus, or in his case, under the boat. We'll get to that later in the next sermon. But I want you to understand that in this story, as much as we like to point our fingers at Jonah, we are like Jonah. We are like Jonah in this story. And that's not something we like to see because we like to throw Jonah under the bus. We like to talk about how dumb he was or how could he do these things. But you see, either we have already experienced the blinding of our sin in our own lives or we will in the future. Or maybe you're listening right now and you are already blinded to your sin. And as I've said, understand that any sin left unchecked will grow And Matt preached on this only two weeks ago. That sin, when it is fully grown, it results in death. And just like that plastic will grow deeper into into the animal, the sin will grow deeper into our lives. And when that object is removed from those animals in, in the video, I have to sit back and think, wow, how could that animal have lived that long with that in it? It must have been hindered so much. But now I realize that people have probably looked at me and have thought, how could he have lived with that sin in his life for so long? How could I have gone so long without addressing sin? How, how did I let it get to this point? How did I not see it coming? Except the thing is, we do see it coming. Because when we commit sin, we know exactly that we are committing sin. We know that what we're doing is wrong. See, Jonah knew that it was going to be a sin to run from God, but he did it anyways. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, once said, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. We know full well that the sins we commit are wrong. 
But it's when we fail to acknowledge that and bring them to God in repentance that we find ourselves blind to our sin. We think we're doing great, unaware, blissfully unaware, that sin has actually wrapped itself around us and entangles us. Sin blinds us to reality, a reality that others will hopefully point out, as Dave preached just last week, about love and that real love, biblical love, doesn't just let things slide. We come alongside our brothers and sisters and we, point, we tell them about their sin. Now, they might not always react in the best way. In fact, we don't always react the best way when someone points out our sin, but it's for our benefit. And we don't do it just to make ourselves feel better, but we do it in love so that hopefully our brothers and sisters in Christ will draw closer to Christ and know him more personally and bring that sin to him. Now, from here on, this story here, it reveals more of Jonah's character and how the sin has really affected him, how he's really been blind. See, in our next part of the story, the captain goes down to check on Jonah. And as I've said, the series of downs in the, in the phrases is now contrasted because the captain yells, get up, get up, what are you doing? And it's in contrast because the way this is laid out, this is the same word that God uses when he says to Jonah, arise. So we have God saying, arise, get up and go to Nineveh, and Jonah going down, 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 and then we have another arise or get up. It's like to shock or jolt Jonah out of, out of the position he's in. Just like I hope I kind of jolted you a bit in that. But the sad thing is, is that here we don't see any repentance from Jonah. We don't even know, as, this, as the captain asked him to call on his own God, if Jonah did that. James Bruckner comments, the captain's request for Jonah to pray to his God is an incredible opportunity for Jonah to give witness to and demonstrate the power of the Lord of life. But he remains silent. What an opportunity for Jonah to tell these sailors about the God he served. What an opportunity to say, guys, I'm here at fault. But even though I'm at fault, let me tell you about the God I serve. Let me tell you how loving he is, how slow to anger he is, how merciful he is. But he doesn't. He remains silent. Sin blinds us and sin deceives us. Jonah was blind to his own spiral and sin, but I believe he was also deceived in his position to the Gentiles. Like I said, the captain finds Jonah asleep, and at this point, they were, they were calling on their own gods. And the captain found it odd, one, that Jonah was asleep, but two, that Jonah wasn't even calling on his own god in this violent storm, which tells a lot about Jonah. He was... Jonah slept through the storm, blind to what was right in front of him. People's lives were on the line, and he was asleep. And I said, we were like Jonah, right? So are we asleep on the boat while people are dying? Do we care about the lives around us, their souls? The people in the city, are we asleep and not acting while they're dying. 
When Jonah should have been at his Christian best, he was at his religious worst. Do we have a religious attitude? Do we think we're higher or better than anyone else? Will we actually hold the gospel back from someone? Maybe from people who are protesting or people we disagree with politically. Will we actually hold the gospel back? And I want those to be questions that we actually think about, we actually take in. Don't be afraid to check yourself and see where you stand. In this moment, as I said, the wind is howling, the waves are pounding, there's rain. You might not be able to see much, you might not be able to hear much, and these sailors are calling on their gods. And this is important because at this point, they they were very polytheistic, meaning they believed in different gods. They had a god for almost everything, a sky god, a wind god, a rain god, a land god. So they prayed to their own gods and hoped that they would find that one god somewhere that was angry at someone. It's almost like trying to find a needle in the haystack, trying to find who you ticked off the most. And in that moment, they asked asked Jonah to call on his God, who we know is the one true God. And the captain even says, call on your God, because he might notice us and we might be saved. So it doesn't tell us that Jonah actually prayed to God. So then the the sailors decide to cast lots to decide, to find out who is at fault here? Now, casting lots, if you don't know, was a very commonplace way to determine the will of God. Um, actually, we see Israel doing it a lot, and it's not outlawed by God at all. We don't know how it was done or what it was done with, but we, we know they did it to discern God's will. In Acts chapter 1, verse 26, we even see the apostles, when they want to replace Judas, they cast lots to determine between two candidates who would be the newest apostle, and that falls on Matthias. So they cast lots in the middle of the storm, and it points out to Jonah that he is the one at fault. Jonah's descent into sin and having been deceived stopped him from outing himself. He knew full well he was running from God. And I have no doubt that he knew the storm was likely a result of his running. He was at all concerned with his life or even that of the Gentile sailors. As I said, he was deceived, and he likely thought he was better than or above the Assyrians and the Ninevites and likely these pagan sailors as well. This is what sin does to us. Jonah didn't confess that he was guilty. And when we become ensnared to the point to that, when we come, sorry, when we become ensnared to that point, we realize our sin And then we can often be too scared to confess it. I believe that Jonah was holding on to the promise that he was a child of God, that he was a child of Abraham. He was one of God's chosen people. But despite his sin and despite the sin of of the nation, they thought they were still above all the other nations. When in fact, their sin brought them down to the very same level. So often the same with our, with our case, that if we were to hold ourselves above anyone else, when we sin, we're at the same level they are. You see, for Jonah, he, was, he trusted more in the physical promise, his heritage, and the promise that was circumcision. 
which meant that he was a Jew, that he followed the one true God, and this is what he was holding on to. But in Romans, the Apostle Paul makes it clear this is not the case. This is not what you should trust in. Romans 2, 28 to 29 says, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision, which is that promise, that covenant between the people and God, is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Jonah's trust in that physical promise deceived him. He thought he was better than everyone else. But Jesus, God levels the playing field. None of us are above another because of our heritage, because of our status, because of how much money we have. We are all sinners, saved by and in need of the same grace. God is more concerned about your heart than he is about your physical actions. Jonah didn't out himself. And I know this lie. I know this trick of sin. And you likely know it too. You become so entangled that when you finally see your situation, this new lie begins. And these questions come up. How can I confess now after having sinned for so long? What about my character? What what about what people think of me? What about my position in leadership? These are real thoughts that come up to you. And these are lies from that sin. You see, sin doesn't want to be exposed. It doesn't want to be found out. And it's going to hold on to you as tight as it can. John chapter 3 verse 20 says exactly that. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come from the light, lest his works should be exposed. Let me give you a real example. In 2008, the singer of the band Planet Shakers, Michael Guglielmucci, came clean about a 16-year-long porn addiction. The only problem was he was telling people at the time that he was battling cancer. He was trying to hide his sin. And then the lie of that sin that he tried to cover up began to manifest itself as he began to actually lose his hair and begin to vomit, which were likely causes of distress and anxiety trying to cover up this lie. There was a point where he even performed a song with an oxygen tube. This is how much sin can deceive us and can run into our lives and grip its hooks into us. You may have your own thoughts about this situation, about this story of this man, but I want you to realize that, again, that we are the same. You might reel back a bit and say, Adam, I'm not the same like that. I've never, never done anything like that. No, maybe not to that extent, but we have all been deceived and blinded at some point, period. See, sin makes us all guilty. Sin can not only destroy your life in the next, but it can also destroy your life in this one if we let it, if we let it go unchecked. And don't get me wrong, I know it's not always going to be easy to confess our sin, but we are called to bring our sins to Christ in repentance. We won't always get this right, 
But let me tell you, don't let the fear of confessing your sins stop you from coming into the light. And I'm not talking to people who aren't Christians here. People who aren't Christians here don't need to hide their sin. Christians, we're the ones that hide our sin. Hear me here. It's always better to out yourself to have someone else find out. And it's always better to be corrected in the light than it is to sin in the darkness. When we set them by side, side by side, the consequences and the fear of confession actually fail to compare to the love, mercy, and grace you will find in Jesus Christ. Your fear of what will, what will happen if you confess or when you confess does not compare to what you, you find in Christ. Yes, there will be consequences. Yes, there will probably be things that you need to work out, but you will be saved in Christ. You will have blessings in Christ that nothing else can take away. Deception is a trademark of sin. We think it's no big deal. I'm not as bad as a guy down the road. But that's how it all started in the garden. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, that God was holding out on them, that there was something that God just didn't want them to experience. Deception. We are all sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Dr. Norman Geisler puts it this way. Imperfect thoughts, intentions, or actions are sinful. And the flawless standard of the Holy One's absolute perfection clearly cannot be achieved by human flesh, but only by the enabling of God. Humans are totally depraved. I mean, we're just full of sin. Jonah was blind and deceived and allowed his sin to take a hold of his life. He was running from God. He didn't care about the pagan sailors. He didn't even care about his own life. We're not the only ones that are impacted by our sin, and we need to realize that our sin can also hurt others, which is just another reason for why we should not let our sin go unchecked. Remember, we do the same thing Jonah did. We stand in ignorance at times of plights of our neighbors. And as Pastor Steve said earlier in their service, we are called to love our neighbors. We are our own Jonah. And although Jonah didn't turn to God in this moment, you can. If you know there's a sin in your life, you need to let God work on that. You need to confess that. You need to go to someone. It doesn't matter how long you've tried to hide it. It doesn't matter if you're only just now being convicted of it. God is just waiting for you to turn to him and repent. Move past the lies, past the deception, past the blindness and into the arms of your heavenly Father. When we go down, as what I said earlier, we just move down, we become more and more blind, more susceptible. We become more okay with this sin in our lives. We make excuses for it. I've got a handle on this. I can do this. I'll get over this. I'm almost there. But again, that language already gives something away that you're trusting more in yourself than you're trusting in God. Don't be on that downward spiral. Turn to God now. And just to show you, I want you to know that Romans 5, 20 to 21 says, but where sin increased, 
grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter how much you've sinned, God's grace is far above that. And contrary to a popular saying, you will not burn if you step inside of a church because you've sinned so much. You can never sin so much that God is not going to forgive you. And Christians, let me remind you. Let me remind you of who you are in Jesus. Do you realize what it means to be in Christ and what we find, what we have in Christ? In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1 alone, we see that in verse 4, we are chosen. Verse 5, we are adopted. Verse 7, we are redeemed and forgiven. Verse 9 to 10, given wisdom and insight through the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, we have an inheritance. And then verse 13, we are sealed in the Spirit and are eternally His. What blessings What a joy to have this in Christ so that we are chosen, we are adopted, we are given wisdom, and that we are eternally his. See, by placing our faith in Jesus and repenting of our sins, we become sons and daughters of God while we were once enemies. Jonah knew the qualities of God, but he failed to truly apply them to his life and to see what that meant for the people around him. And we know this because later on in this book, chapter 4, Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew who God was. He knew it. Which plays more into what I'm about to tell you. If we go down further into verse 8, the sailors, after casting lots, begin to question Jonah. They want to find more about Jonah find out more about his God, and maybe find a way to appease this God, to stop the storm. But Jonah's answer absolutely terrifies them. He calls himself a Hebrew, which would have been the right way to let the Gentiles know he was an Israelite. But he also says this, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So basically what Jonah is saying is that there's nowhere he could go to escape God. God was Lord of heaven and of land and sea, which goes back to my first sermon, how I believe that Jonah was not really running from God himself, but from his call as a prophet. And this is what terrified the sailors, is that here was a prophet, a man of God, running from a God that you couldn't run from. Their gods were only God of one thing, as I said before. It was likely thought that they, were, they served Baal, who was just a sky god, but here was a god who was not limited by land or sea or sky. And Jonah says he fears God. But does he really fear God? I believe Jonah here is just giving lip service. He knows the right things to say. He knows how to rightfully address himself. And he's just going through the emotions because his actions betray him. Because if he had actually feared the Lord then he would not be running or he would have turned in repentance. And actually later on, when the sailors throw Jonah overboard, it uses the same words and it says, they greatly feared God. These pagan sailors feared God more than God's prophet feared him. And they showed that in their actions. And also in the New Testament, we can see a 
part of this where Peter confesses Christ. He gives the, the textbook answer. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He gives the, you would get an A++ for this answer. But then later, Jesus talks about how he's going to die. And Peter says, Lord, forbid this. That this, this is not going to happen. Not while I'm here. And Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes Peter. See, Jonah wasn't a fan of God's plan. He wasn't a fan of what God wanted to do. And neither was Peter. Peter wasn't a fan of Christ dying. He didn't want to go along with that plan. We are like Jonah. There are times we don't like God's plan. God's plan in getting Sabrina and I to model one mission in Calvary Baptist is not the plan that I would have chosen. There's a lot of frustration involved, a lot of crying, a lot of questioning, crying out loud, God, what is going on? But in the end, we're here, and this has been such a huge blessing to us to be here. When, this, when the sailors saw what Jonah had done in throwing what was basically a little temper tantrum that he didn't like God's plan, they say, what have you done? What is this you have done? Jonah, who was a Hebrew and knew the character of God, failed to properly see the gravity of his situation. And pagan Gentile sailors had the proper response that the prophet of God lacked. Jonah was blind and he was deceived to how far he had actually come. He didn't see it. But these pagan, these pagan sailors did. I mean, often we've probably heard it. I know non-Christians who act more Christian than Christians. Are we blind? Have we been deceived to where we stand? And know this, that in the midst of this, we clearly see God working here. We already see that God is the one that, that hurled the storm onto, this, onto the sea. And later we see that God appoints a fish. He appoints a plant. God is actively evolved in this. And no matter how much sin blinds us and deceives us, we need to know that God is greater. God is victorious over our sin, and he is actively working in our lives, just as he is working, as he, in the story, working in Jonah's life. The storm in Jonah doesn't relent until Jonah has himself thrown into the sea, which we'll talk about next time. God doesn't let up. And spoiler alert, God continues working in his life and will be, will be successful in getting Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. You see, we are never so important that we can stop God, nor are we so insignificant that God would not save us. In his commentary, Matthew Henry says this about the storm. This wind was sent after Jonah to fetch him back to God and to his duty. And it is a great mercy to be reclaimed and called home when we go astray, though it be by tempest. And listen, I know it's hard to confess your sin. I know there are consequences. I know there are consequences even placing your faith in Christ. But it's a great mercy and it's a beautiful thing to be called back, to be reclaimed, to be made new in God. God sent that storm to bring Jonah back. And oftentimes it's a, 
It's our consequences of being made aware of our sin that bring us back to him. Can we be honest with ourselves? Are we running from God right now? Are you not a fan of God's plan, whether in this city or in your life right, right now? Are we self-righteous and selfish like Jonah was, thinking that we can do it better? I want you to know that Jesus is at work in your life and that he wants you to turn to him no matter where you find yourself right now. Jesus has already won the victory and we need to confess our sins to him. As Christians, we are no longer subject to this world and it has been overcome. Sin has been defeated. When Jesus was on that cross in our place, he took our sins, he took the wrath of God and he was the final sacrifice for us so that we can be reconciled with the Father in heaven. So that we can be made right in the eyes of God. We are blessed in Christ. We are blessed when we place our faith in him. And if you haven't placed your faith in him already, now is your chance. You've heard how sin blinds us, how it deceives us, but how God is so much greater, so far above, so much more beautiful than what we have here. The blessings that I've talked about that we have in Christ can be yours. You just need to put your faith in him. Believe he is the son of God and confess that he is Lord. And you will be saved because we place our faith in Christ. So what do you want me to do with this, Adam? What do you want me to take out of this sermon? Well, I want you to know that no matter how entangled in sin you may be, no matter how afraid you may be of confessing your sin, and no matter how far you have run, you can turn to God, that God is far better and far greater than any of it. He is pursuing you. God pursues us. He pursued me in, in getting me here to mile one. And there are times I ran. I know what it's like to, be, to run from God and to be pursued by God. We don't initiate salvation. God does. We didn't come up for the plan for Jesus to die on the cross. That was all God. We just place our faith in him. He pursues us. And you may be thinking of the parable where Jesus talks about the sheep, how he says if you have 100 sheep but one of them runs away and gets lost, you will leave the 99 to go after the one. And that's true. God is pursuing us. But you know, contrary to, pop, to a popular song, it's not reckless love because to be reckless means that God would have to act without thinking about the consequences. But God knows every, all the, every outcome. God knows where you find yourself right now. And he knows what will happen if you turn to him. And you can trust him with that. We fail and we fall like Jonah. We get self-righteous. We throw our own temper tantrums. We don't like God's plans and we run. But know this, that when you sin, I want you to run to him because he loves you and will show you mercy and grace. When you sin, don't run deeper to your sin, but run to your Father in heaven who will forgive you and who is greater. I want you to know this and to tell others. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are a loving, compassionate, gracious, 
and merciful Father. Lord, that you are patient with us, that you are pursuing us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone out there that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would place their faith in you, that they would know you, that they would step out and just trust in you. And Father, if there's anyone who is in their sin, Lord, I pray that they would not be so afraid of their consequences that they would not turn to you. Lord, we should not run deeper into our sin, but we should run deeper into your arms. Lord, may we be made aware of the need in the city of our neighbors. And let this just be a sobering reality check for all of us, God. To be aware of our sin, but to know, God, that you are so much greater and far above all of that. And that we can always, always turn to you. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.